0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Maybe you have had uh, an experience to some degree with the Lord, but you know you've never really made the commitment. You're not really walking with Him. You come to church occasionally. or Maybe you come to church fairly frequently, but in your life away from church, you, you know the reality is you're you're not in a real relationship with Christ. You're not walking with Him and responding to Him and obeying Him. Today is the day of salvation.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 in a message titled, The Beginning of the End. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: It would appear that the the peace part of this period is maybe the first three and a half years. Could be shorter. It could go all the way to three and a half years. We know at the three and a half year point, that's when all hell literally breaks loose. So it's a short-lived peace, war breaks out and then from there, moving on to the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, saying a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage. So as has always been the case, when you have a, when you have war breaking out, famine usually follows war. And so that's what's going to happen. You're going to have war breaking out around the world. You're going to have famine as a result of it. It's going to cost a day's wage to just get enough for a loaf of bread for a day. So this brief reign of, of peace and, and obviously to some degree prosperity is going to end abruptly with war breaking out and then famine following the war. But notice it says something interesting. It says, it says, but do not touch the wine and the oil, or the oil and the wine. And the oil and the wine were, they were luxuries in John's day. And so what it appears is that as is always the case, the common people suffer first, and they often suffer the most while those in places of power and position who are usually the ones responsible for all the misery in the world, they are kind of just, you know, still living the good life. And and that's going to happen here initially. And you might wonder, well, why, why does God allow that? Because he is basically saving the severe judgment for those To the last. When we come to Revelation chapter 18, that's where we see the total obliteration of the culture of the rich and famous, if you will, and the elites who have dominated the masses over all of the long history of the world. It all comes to a a crashing end in the 18th chapter. And so from there, we come now finally to the writer. The fourth seal is opened and the rider of the the pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed after him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Death and Hades. Death is speaking of the physical, Hades is speaking of the invisible or the spiritual part of a person. So death and Hades together. The bodies are slain, the spirits are imprisoned. And that's why they're joined together here. And notice what it says. It says, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill. A fourth of the earth. So, as we said in the beginning, the, the statistics from the, from the Second World War are just so massive. It's staggering to think of it. But we're talking uh, between 60 and 80 million people. Here, we're talking about a fourth of the world's population. In less than 10 years, the world's population will be 8 billion. And so we're talking a number of possibly 2 billion people. Can you imagine... At the time of the Second World War, there were, there were less than two billion people on the entire planet. So when we look at these numbers though, when we look at a fourth of the world's population, we're talking about the, the, the possible death and destruction of as many as two billion people. This is staggering, it's mind-boggling, it's, it's inconceivable, this kind of death and destruction. Anybody who lived through the Second World War, especially in the war zones of Europe or, or Japan, the devastation was unimaginable. And we've all probably seen the, the films and the, read the, the books and things. But again, all of this, is, as horrific as it was, it's going to pale in comparison. So you see, this is a time that nobody in their right mind would choose to live through. There will be plenty of people involved in it, but if, if there was a way to not live through it, if there was a possibility to avoid this, you would want to do everything you possibly could to make sure you were not part of this. Now, coming to the application here, no one knows the day or the hour when these things are going to happen. Jesus said that no one knew the day or the hour in which he would return for his church. And we could say the same thing about the opening of the first seal. No one knows the day or the hour because those, those two things are definitely connected. And remember, if we just go back to the text beginning in chapter 4, all of this stuff is happening immediately. John is caught up into heaven, he has got on the throne, he's got the scroll in his hand, he, he weeps, then he's consoled, and then Jesus comes forth and he takes the scroll and he opens it, so John being a, t- a type of the church, the elders being a type of the church, I see the church is in heaven there, so it, it's going to be fairly immediate that all of this happens, but no one knows when it is going to happen, yet it seems reasonable to expect a conditioning, and a preparing of people's hearts and minds to receive this false Messiah. And I think without a doubt, this is what we see all around us today. Now, I don't want to get too deeply involved, even in our study in Revelation, of trying to connect all of the things happening in the world to some prophecy in the Bible. I think that's a mistake to do that because most of the time people are proven wrong. There are some some general signs that we can look to with absolute confidence that yes, this particular thing shows us that we're headed in this direction. But the problem that often occurs is Bible teachers, especially prophecy teachers, they're, they're getting too detailed. They're trying to They're trying to connect everything going on in the world to some scripture somewhere. And I think that's that's a mistake. So we want to avoid doing that. But like I said, I think it would be reasonable to consider that there's going to be a a time of conditioning and, and the preparing of people's minds for this kind of thing to happen. And the kind of thing that we're talking about happening, primarily what I want to to focus on, because this is the first event, is the, the rise of the Antichrist. See, that happens first. And even though today we look around the world and we see that there's a lot of war, and we see that there's a lot of potential for war, all of the things that are happening in the world today, some of them are pointing in the direction of what's happening in the future. Some of them are just things that have always happened. So we need to make a distinction between that. You see, because when we argue with skeptics and we say, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of war going on in the world today. Jesus said there's gonna be a lot of war. People will argue back and say, there's always been a lot of war. They're right, there has been. Jesus in Matthew 24 and here in Revelation, we're talking about a specific period of time that doesn't begin until the Antichrist comes to power. And so we have to understand it. So the the things that are happening in the world today might or might not develop and transition into this period of time. They might or might not. We don't know. Because what we're reading about here is something that happens after the church is removed and when the Antichrist comes to power. So the wars that we're talking about here, we we read about the, the fiery red horse they're not wars that are brewing right now, because there's going to become a time of peace. They're wars that are going to come after. So to try to make the connection today and say, well, look at all the, uh, the threats of war around the world, that shows us that it's the end times. Not necessarily, because these things are going to come at a specific point in time after the Antichrist comes to power. But things that we would expect. Like I said, if this is going to happen, we would expect to see that there would be a conditioning that's taking place, and we do see that in our world today. It seems like today, more than at any other time, people are more inclined to give their allegiance to some type of a leader, like sort of like a Caesar type of a person. We're we're seeing that on a global scale today that people are ready to follow blindly anyone who promises to give them something like cradle-to-grave benefits. You know, it's just like you promise people, we're going to take care of you. We're going to pay for your everything. You know, we're going to pay for your health care. We're going to pay for your education. We're going to just, you know, we're just going to take care of you. It's kind of like back in the Roman days, you know, it was bread and circus. As long as you just gave the people enough bread and entertained them enough with the circus, you could do anything you want. You could control them completely. And that's, that's kind of the mentality of the world today. And it's so rapidly moved there because, of course, there, there was a time not all that long ago in this country in particular, where those kinds of things were not only not appealing, those kinds of things were resisted and opposed, and nobody wants that. We've seen that happen in all different kinds of countries. It's an absolute failure. But, you know, it, is, it has come home to, the, to this country as well, and that's the mentality of a lot of people today. We've arrived at that place where I think it is true globally that the world is longing for a singular leader, the world is waiting for that one person that will rise up and especially that one person who can bring peace with some prosperity. That one person that's gonna liberate the proletariat like the, the Marxists have always promised to do and gonna elevate the, the little man and make the playing field level for everybody. That, that's what people are longing for today. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. So my point is this. As we see, the world is conditioned toward that now. That's a necessary element in order for these things to come to pass. And so since we see that that is, generally speaking, that is the mentality of so much of the world today, I think that we are on the threshold of these very things happening. So the second thing... I want to point out is that Jesus described the tribulation as a snare or a trap that will come upon all who dwell on the earth. This is a global thing. It's a snare, and it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth, but he promised to the church and specifically to the church of Philadelphia that was marked by faithfulness to keeping his word, he promised that he would keep them out of that hour of trial that is coming on all the world to test those who dwell on the earth. So the rapture is the means of God's deliverance for his church from this period of time. So the stage is being set. The world is moving in that direction. We don't know when... It is all going to solidify, but this is what we do know. We know that the church, God's people, his bride will not be here for these events. Now, there are people that, there are Christians, they are good Christian people that think that my position, our position on that is wrong. They say, oh, no, you guys are fooling yourself. You know, we're going through the tribulation." they often argue based on what other christians have experienced throughout history you know all kinds of christians have gone through these things you know they've been tortured and they've been beheaded and they and you, you know we think we're going to escape you think we're going to escape well one of the things i think they sometimes overlook is that all of those examples of tribulation which are absolutely true the source of the tribulation was the devil and wicked men The source of the great tribulation is not the devil and wicked men, it's God. God is punishing the world. And if you understand the purposes of the tribulation that are spelled out for us in scripture, you see that the church really has no place in the tribulation. It would be odd to find the church in the tribulation because the the purposes of the tribulation have nothing to do with the church. There's two main purposes. Number one, purpose, Daniel tells us it's to, to break the will and the pride of the Jewish nation. As I pointed out before, the book of Revelation takes our focus right back to the nation of Israel. And, you know, national Israel has, for 2,000 years now, rejected their Messiah. And God is going to use the tribulation period to bring them to repentance. And Jesus said to them, He said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The tribulation period will bring them to that place to cry out for him. That's what's happening. The tribulation period, according to Jeremiah, is called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time where the power of the holy people is shattered completely. They no longer trust themselves. They put their trust in the Messiah. That's purpose number one. Purpose number two of the tribulation period is to punish the world for its evil. Isaiah chapter 13 tells us. The Lord says, I will punish the world for its evil and man for his iniquity. I will make a mortal human being more rare than fine gold. So if you understand the purpose of the tribulation, you see the church has no place there. We're not part of Israel, and we've not rejected the Messiah. We've not rejected Christ. We've received Christ as our Savior. And so the rapture is God's promise to deliver his people from that hour of testing that's going to come upon the whole earth. And so today, if you know Christ, and as we think about these things, and as we talk about these things, and as we imagine these things, and as you might even occasionally have a nightmare about these things, it's worthy of nightmares know this, you have nothing to fear because Christ is going to deliver his people before that. Now, that doesn't mean that we might not go through our own season of persecution. It doesn't mean that at all. But the persecution that we will go through, like other Christians have gone through historically and like other Christians are going through today, the source of that will not be God. The source of that will be, as it's always been, Satan and evil people. Remember, the source of the tribulation is God. Jesus is opening these seals. This is the scroll that's in the right hand of God. The tribulation is God's judgment upon the earth, and God's people will not experience God's judgment. And Abraham knew that. He said, Lord, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Far be from you to do that. And Abraham was absolutely right. And so the New Testament reminds us over and over again that we have not been appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Now, in closing, let me just say this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, your only hope is to put your trust in Him, and now is the time to do that. The Bible says, Behold, now is the time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. You don't want to put this off any longer. You don't want to procrastinate any longer. No one knows the day or the hour. And whether the rapture is coming in two years or five years or 20 years, I I don't know. Nobody knows. But you know, the moment you breathe your last breath, it's over for you anyway. And we never know when that's going to happen. And so, salvation has been offered to us. We need to, to take it while it's available. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. That's what the prophet said. And so as we close today, there's, there's two words. There, for those who know Christ and are his people, there's the, the, the comfort. There's the assurance that we have no place in this tribulation period. Like I said, there's no guarantee we won't suffer persecution, but we won't go through the great tribulation. But the other message is to those of you who maybe you don't know Christ, or maybe you have had uh, an experience to some degree with the Lord, but you know you've never really made the commitment. You're not really walking with him. You come to church occasionally. Or maybe you come to church fairly frequently, but in your life away from church, you, you know the reality is you're, you're not in a real relationship with Christ. You're not walking with him and responding to him and, and obeying him. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. These things are coming. We don't know when. It appears that they could come sooner than we think. But the final thing I want to say you know, I don't like making an appeal to follow Christ based upon the idea of escaping the judgment. But, you know, for some people, that's what it takes. If that's you today, and and you need to be scared into the kingdom, well, there's plenty to scare you right here. But, you know, there's so much more to come to Jesus for than for that reason. You want to come to Jesus not just so you don't experience the wrath of God, but you want to come because he loves you, and you want to come because he made you, and he redeemed you, and he's got a plan for your life, and he wants to do good things with your life, and he wants you to be with him eternally. I mean, you can come motivated by fear, and some people do, but That gives way, ultimately, if you've really come, it gives way to, you know, wow, I'm here because Christ loves me. But either way, if you're not with the Lord today, make a commitment.
0: Now, let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource.
1: So Brian, John Bonner, a missionary pioneer in Peru, has written a book. He has written a book called The Myth of Coincidence, and it is such a great book. It's a small book, but you know how both of us love missionary biographies? That's right. Well, this is one adventure, I'll tell you. It's an amazing story of how... Uh, you know, John's own personal life and some of the things that happened, some of the tragedy, his meeting Pilar, his wife, in Mexico City, them being there during one of the big earthquakes, and then the Lord leading them into Peru. And now, 20 years they've been in Peru and pioneering the gospel there, planted many churches. And I couldn't put the book down, it was a page turner. So, John Bonner. And the title, again, is The Myth of Coincidence. And he just basically shows through the book that there are no coincidences, that God is at work behind
0: the scenes. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. You can order the book The Myth of Coincidence by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner to help you understand that God is working behind the scenes in your life too. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com To Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.
1: Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022, and we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th, and this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian, you and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount, Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.